0: So I'm Writing a Novel is the show where you join me, Oliver Brackenbury, on the journey of writing my next novel, from first ideas all the way to publication and promotion. In this one-man reality show, I'll share with you my ever-evolving thoughts and feelings on how I write, being a writer, and everything that entails at each stage of the process. I'll also interview special guests involved in writing and publishing. If you're the kind of person who likes to learn how things are made and get to know the people making them, then this is the show for you. I'd like to say a quick thank you to our Patreon supporters who make this show possible. Patrons receive perks like access to the special bonus podcast, So I Wrote a Novel, where I read chapter-by-chapter past works of mine, providing behind-the-scenes commentary on the writing. And if you're not one already, you can check out all the other perks and exclusive content over at patreon.com slash soimwritinganovel. If you read the name of this episode, you might be wondering, so what, is this a goof where Oliver interviews himself through the art of editing? Well, that's a fair guess. <laughs> it is something I would do. But no, something new happened uh, for me in my writing career where a student, a plucky, intelligent, fun, young fifth grader named Renault, reached out to me about a school project of his where he had to speak to people about a career he was intrigued by, in his case, writing, and would I talk with him about it? I said, sure, why don't we make it an episode of the podcast, which is how he was aware of me, and uh, he and his parents said yes, so hey, why not, right? Yeah, it was actually really, really fun, I had a great time, and I figure maybe you would enjoy listening to that as well. So without further ado, let's go over to myself and Renault.
1: Should you say hello, or should I say hello? Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, I, I usually I, what I do as the interviewer is I say, uh, you know, like, and here I am uh, with Renault. Uh, Hi, Renault, and then you'd be like, hello, and yeah, you know, well, but you're the interviewer, so how about we uh, we pause for silence, and then you can say that, Hey, and here we are with Oliver, you know, kind of thing.
1: <laughs> okay, so I don't know how to. Say. Uh, right now, I am attempting to interview Oliver Brackenbury. And I am interviewing him because I'm interested in being a writer when I'm older. And he has a podcast that I listen to sometimes, and I think he's really cool. So I'm just going to ask him a few questions about his job and what he does.
0: I don't know. I think that was a great introduction. You're doing really well in your first interview already, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here with you on this morning. Uh, please shoot with any questions you like.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for sending aside time for me to interview you. I want to warn you that I might ask you some questions that I already know the answers to, but <laughs> people who are listening to the interview, why not? So, yeah.
0: Totally, I do it all the time. You want, you want to set it up for the listener. You're, that's doing a good job. All right, man. Yeah. Uh,
1: when did you first realize when you wanted to be a writer?
0: Okay, that's tricky uh, because I, I this is kind of what, uh, an answer a lot of writers give to the point that it sometimes feels phony, but I swear I'm telling the truth when I say it's hard for me to remember because I was writing stories before I could actually like had do handwriting. (laughs) I dictated stories to my mom who would write them down for me when I was like three or four, of course she was my mom. So she got, you know, she printed it out and put it in, you know, gave it to the library, (laughs) but I guess the point where I I decided, okay, I think I actually really want to make this my life somewhere in my teens it's hard to pin down but somewhere when i was in high school i was looking at career options and seeing what really appealed to me and i knew it wouldn't be easy but i i knew it was what made me happiest was writing and creating and, and reading and thinking hard about stories as well not just the the writing uh proper um and then yeah when i went to the university i decided to do an english degree uh, and i sort of took it from there uh so yeah somewhere somewhere in high school probably 16 17 when i was thinking near the end you know
1: yeah um what do you think has been your biggest success professionally?
0: Oh, gosh, that's a little tricky. You know, I mean, I'm very proud of getting my first novel published uh, with an independent publisher. You know, it wasn't a huge deal. It didn't shake the world over, but that was very satisfying and it felt really good. Um, I also was very happy a little later in, um, when, actually, no, yeah, it was just the, the year after that, I got into a uh, very difficult to get into a television development program because I write screenplays as well. And so that was very validating. And then just this year, I was very happy when I ran a crowdfunding campaign for a short fiction magazine focused on sword and sorcery that I'm very happy to have gotten enough people excited about to give me money, uh, right? That's always nice. Uh, and, and yeah, that did very well just earlier this year. So I guess those are sort of three contenders. It's hard for me to say uh, number one, because I'm very proud of all three of those things.
1: So can you tell us more about the magazine you're working on?
0: Sure thing, it's called New Edge Sword and Sorcery, and it came out of me and some friends last June saying, you know, we would love to do a magazine of short fiction with beautiful illustrations to go with the stories, as well as non-fiction in the back, telling people about the history of the genre and creators from years past who maybe people uh, we feel more people should know about. And yeah, it was a really fun sort of group project we did last summer uh, that we all kind of did for free just as a test to see if we liked it. Uh, and then, yeah, we put that out. People liked it a lot. We thought, okay, well, let's see if we can do more. But this time, let's pay people. That seems like a good idea. Uh, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to do that after a while. Otherwise, it's hard to keep doing things, right? Because we live in a capitalist society. So, yeah, we, um, basically promoted the heck out of issue zero and reached out to various writers and artists to say, Hey, you want to come in and do more issues with us? And eventually that built up to us doing a Kickstarter campaign in February. And for those who don't know, Kickstarter is a website where people can basically say, Hey, I've got an idea. Uh, it's a movie, it's a book, whatever the heck it is, you know, um, sometimes it's technology, like a, a new kind of watch or whatever. Uh, and would you like to pre-order it basically and give you money on the premise that if I hit my goal, you know, ours was $20,000 Canadian, uh, if we hit our goal, then we get to make the thing. Hurrah. And you get the thing. And if we don't hit the goal, you don't give us any money. We all just wash our hands and walk away, <laughs> you know, uh, and so, yeah, um, that was really fun, really stressful. It was a whole month of running the fundraising campaign and every day looking at the little meter going up of the money and being like, come on, keep going. Uh, <laughs> but in the end, uh, we got 114% of what we were aiming for, which was great because that led us to uh, what are called stretch goals, you know, extra things you do if you raise a bit more money and we got double art funding. So we're going to have all kinds of beautiful art in the magazine. I hope people will really enjoy. Uh, the, that'll be coming out probably this fall. Right now, I'm working hard with the writers uh, on actually editing the stories. I was doing that right before uh, this call. Uh, I was just going over and giving them notes on things, which is fun to be on that side of it, uh, of the writing. Actually, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, why did you start your podcast?
0: Well, I started my podcast um, because, again, it opens back to my own writing uh, and trying to find ways to boost it. Right? I mean, it's a good idea, I think, as a writer to be as creative as you can in how you promote your work and finding ways to promote your work that you enjoy. Right? I mean, you've got to be having fun; yeah. otherwise, it's going to be hard to make yourself do it. So. I, you know, my first novel, as I said, I I got it published with a small publisher. My second novel, I tried self-publishing. I was curious to see how that went. I must confess, my experience with that was not very uh, satisfying. I found it almost kind of like writing a very long blog post (laughs) and then just putting it online. And a few people read it and was like, okay. (laughs) So I thought, geez, that was not satisfying. Um, If I do another book, whether it's traditional publishing or self-publishing, I want more people to know it happens, right? I want more people to read it. How could I build anticipation for it while I'm writing the book? And I, and you know, meanwhile, I've been thinking about doing a podcast for a while. I actually ended up doing, uh, one before that, uh, with, it's called, um, Unknown Worlds of the Merrill Collection as part of volunteer work I do with a local library that has this special archive of sci-fi fantasy stuff. And so I tried doing a podcast with them and I found I liked it. I found I'm, A big talker. I like talking with people. I love connecting with people and getting to meet them. And so I thought, okay, well, how about I take all these things I've been enjoying, the writing, the podcasting, wanting to promote it and get it out there. What if I do this podcast called, So I'm Writing a Novel? I mean, it's right there in the title where I'm writing my third novel. It's going to be a string of short stories made into one big book. Uh, you know, it's, it's called a short story cycle. And What I could do is I could talk about the novel as I write it, because honestly, like, by the time it actually comes out, I'm sure people have forgotten most of what I've said, but they'll have enjoyed it along the way and kind of remember, yeah, I'm interested in that book. (laughs) Uh, So I'm not really worried about spoilers. I've never been a big spoiler person. I think if a story is really well executed, with a few exceptions, because there's always exceptions to broad statements like this, spoilers don't really bug me. You know, for me, it's about how an idea is executed more than just hearing like, what if a guy was a time-traveling robot? Like, that's a lot of stories. But, you know, there's only one uh, Terminator 2 to pick a popular movie from when I was little. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah. uh, So I was like, okay, I'm going to try this out. And I recorded a few episodes. I re-recorded the first episode like five times. I was so nervous because I really wanted it to, you know, the first one is where people are always going to start, right? So if anyone hearing this thinks, oh, I want to do a podcast, um, don't get so fixated on perfecting it that you never do it but don't be afraid to redo a couple of times and run it by friends. I sent versions of it, the first episode to friends uh, and got their feedback. And, you know, and so by the time the thing you heard, when you listened to the first episode went up, that was like draft (laughs) 4.5. It wasn't quite a full fifth new recording, but I re-recorded some pieces Uh, and I'm happy with it. It seems to work. It seems to get people interested. Hurrah. Uh, And so, yeah, I did that in, Gosh, uh oh yeah, I launched it on my birthday. I was like, here's a gift for you folks. Ha ha ha. Uh, so I launched it on my birthday, which was June 14th, uh, last year and every year. Uh, so I, I launched that, oh no, pardon me, I'm getting lost. That was 2021, I launched it. And so, yeah, it'll be two years come this June. And yeah, I've continued to really enjoy it. It does seem to have built an audience, which is nice and gotten people interested in me and my writing and what I do. It's already benefited other things that I do, for example, the magazine. Right. Of course, people who hear me talk about writing are going to be like, oh, well, what's 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 a magazine edited by this guy going to be like? So, you know, it was handy that way. It was also uh, really great for meeting people. Part of the fun of podcasts is you get to form little acquaintances and friendships with some of your guests. And so it was most of the writers for for that very first issue of the magazine that we did last summer um, before the Kickstarter. Most of the writers I had met already through the Kickstarter, uh, pardon me, through the podcast. And so we were kind of friends, and we we liked each other, and that's half of wanting to work together with someone on something, right? If you want them to be a good writer, you want to like their writing, mm-hmm. but you also need to be able to get along well as a per, you know a couple of people. So the podcast has been really fun and helpful in that way. Uh, I don't know yet if it's a capital S success because the book hasn't come out, and so I, <laughs> I'm still working on that. Uh, but I am working on it, and even though the writing is going slower than if I didn't have a podcast to worry about. Um, I'm more excited about the writing because I, you know, I enjoy writing it. Thinking, oh, good, I'll, I'll tell people about this. Oh, that's interesting, you know, about how I'm outlining and stuff. Uh, and I feel like it's building towards something already, rather than being completely in isolation, as often happens with writers. Anyway, I can tell I'm being long-winded. Pardon me, but there's just so many details, and I get so excited. Uh, what's your next question?
1: Uh, this isn't a question, but I love Terminator Two too. Um... Nice. <laughs> Uh, I, another thing I wanted to ask was what are three important bits of advice that you'd have for a kid who wants to be a writer?
0: Okay. Well, uh, one thing is I would say if you are worried about being good enough, don't be because part of becoming a writer uh, is just accepting that the very first things you write might not be that great. And that's how you learn, right? Think about learning how to ride a bike. You're not pulling amazing tricks on your bike the first time you get on. You're gonna scrape your knees and fall off a few times, right? <laughs> so it's just like that with writing. Like, I mean, your knees will be fine, but I hope. Uh, but uh, <laughs> But you're gonna write stuff that's kind of messy and like the ending doesn't work and you're not sure how to, oh, you don't like the title. Like, who cares? Like, that's fine, give yourself permission to learn is the first piece of advice I would give. Um, Give yourself permission to learn and try your best not to feel embarrassed about sharing your stuff. Certainly for me, I'm lucky. I don't know what it is about me, but I've never been that embarrassed about sharing my unfinished stories. I mean, think about the podcast, right? I'm telling people about me outlining it. It's not even like the final story. I'm just like, yeah, what if this happened? Um, So yeah, permission, give yourself permission to, to learn. The second thing I would tell them is understand that there is no one perfect way to write no writer ever reaches a point in their life where they go nailed it you know i don't have to learn anything new ever again <laughs> uh it is it, no such thing and that's useful to know because it can help you also again be easy on yourself you know go okay well there's no perfect version there's no final version of how to write but also it can help you navigate the huge amount of advice on writing there is online there's so much advice online and so many books of how to write and i have watched bad advice and kind of bad writing advice books mess people up for a long time. They'll get really bad advice and then they just kind of stick to it for a couple of years and keep being misled, you know, thinking, oh, I'm not doing it right. So I'm not doing it just like that thing. What I I would generally say about how to spot bad advice is um, I think even if the advice is not even amazing, but like the best way to give advice is to give people tools, right? Be like, hey, here's a thing you can try, maybe it works for the story you're trying to write, maybe it doesn't work for another one, but it's like another thing you can do, another skill, within writing. Whereas the bad way to give advice, I find, um, and you run into this a lot, I ran into this uh, quite a bit when I was young, um, is when you have a writer who thinks, well, I like how I write, therefore how I write is the good way to write. Everybody should write like me. <laughs> And if they don't write like me, they're doing it wrong, and they're bad, and <laughs> they should feel bad. <laughs> I, I I kid you not it sounds very goofy when I phrase it that way, but I've had very uh, old, experienced writers uh, teach me that way, and just it was not fun. <laughs> it was not fun, let me tell you. so look for look, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, yeah, look for tools and understand that your writing will never ch- uh, stop changing, will never stop evolving. You know, I joke with people. I say that if the way I write, was a was a person it would be like frankenstein's monster where i just keep like i tear off an arm and i put on a new arm and then i put on like wings and i try that later and then i go eh i don't like the wings and i pull those off you know it's just it's it's always shambling forward i'm always writing but it's it's forever being like messed with uh, and gosh that's only two things the third thing i would say is um unfortunately writing, making a living from writing is very difficult and i know it's not an exciting thing to think about you mostly just want to talk about the creative side but I was very lucky. I was raised by uh, a pair of self-employed artists, goldsmiths actually uh, making jewelry and they uh, taught me a lot of wisdom that actually came in very helpful for writing and I think is helpful for anybody pursuing a creative career um, And one thing they they sort of taught me was like you know it's hard and you need to be ready to sort of work a part-time job or even a full-time job while uh, building your craft uh, while getting good at the thing you're doing and accept that like, you know, some people, some people get very, um, the, the phrase, you know, gatekeeping, you ever come into that online? People talk about gatekeeping with like fandom usually, right? Like, oh, you don't know Captain America good enough to be a real fan or whatever. Uh, well, you get gatekeeping with writing, unfortunately. You get people who I find are generally not jerks. They're just kind of insecure. So they feel the need to make themselves feel better by telling other people they're not, you know, good enough. And they'll say, oh, well, you're not a real writer because you're not making a full-time living from it. But if that were the case, oh boy, very few writers would be writers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this kind of thing of just understanding that you know hey did you write a story guess what you're a writer um do you want to make it your full time living okay that's a that's a sort of separate goal from being quote unquote being a writer um and it's difficult and you want to work toward it and not make it like your absolute failure or um success point uh so yeah plan, plan for for you know the money side being difficult frankly and also uh, don't uh, undervalue your labor a lot of writers who are very desperate to get published will let themselves be taken advantage of. They will work for not very much money or no money at all. Maybe you've heard the phrase working for exposure. <laughs> you know, oh well, well, you know, we won't pay you anything, but we'll put you in our little newspaper or whatever. And like, people die of exposure is the phrase I hear, you know, <laughs> you know, so I'm talking about like you know, I'm talking about being out in the cold with not, not enough clothes on, obviously. But I think it's a good metaphor for that. You know, if you do you do a little bit of that maybe to build your C V, maybe a little bit, but if you do too much of that, you know, People will take advantage of your passion and you should be wary of that, I guess is my point. Uh, Protect yourself, know what you're worth and know that money is important, um, but it shouldn't define uh, whether or not you feel good about yourself as a person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I guess that's kind of broad advice for life really, but it's definitely all relevant to writing. Uh, Anyway, again, I can feel myself going on. Uh, What's your next question?
1: Um, Well, this isn't really a question either. I think I want to like leave my question with a statement. Um, I feel like I'm fine with spoilers too, but, um, I don't want to tell people spoilers to my book that are actually going to read it because then they can't help me edit it at all because they'll let know the ending and they won't be surprised or anything. And yeah, my mom, when I told her I wanted to be a writer, my mom was instantly like, okay, just be prepared. Because you've already said you want to be a programmer, and so you might have to learn how to program so you can report support your writing job. And I was like, okay. And then she's like, because as a writer, you kind of have to become a little bit known to make money. And so, and use it as your full-time job. And I told her I would start writing when I was little, like fifth grade, which is what I am right now, to um, be able to be more well-known when I'm older. Yeah,
0: people do that. And, and actually, I have friends who program while writing, by the way. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Actually, uh, he's no longer a, a, a programmer, but um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a comic book author named Ryan North. He did the comics for the Adventure Time TV show and Squirrel Girl. Uh, he's writing Fantastic Four right now. Anyway, by sheer chance, we went to high school together, a buddy, so I get to get some inside scoops on, um, you know, what he's up to. And uh, yeah, he, he, uh, learned, he went to school and got a master's degree in uh, computational linguistics and did programming for a few years before uh, finding his way to a point where he could make a living full time from his writing.
1: Yep. Uh, well, so I'm trying to write a book, which you might already know. My main character, I feel like is kind of awesome as is. So <laughs> I'm wondering about character development because I think that's one of the things I struggle with the most, which is character development. Cause I don't know how to make a character change subtly. like. Uh, Your character is like super, let's get down to business, but then I can't just make him slowly be able to goof off and stuff, I don't know how to do that. So that's what I'm wondering about.
0: Okay, so you're, you're talking about how they change over the course of the story. Um, huh, Let me think, gosh, I do it all the time and the- <laughs> I should have an answer off the top of my head. Um, well, I guess it, it, it. for me, it tends to be about, uh, thinking about, well, what do they want? And what's stopping them from getting what they want? And how do they overcome that? And what are the moments where I can show them, usually in stages? Because, if you, you know, it depends on how long the story is. Sometimes it's, if it's a very short story, maybe you only feel like you have room for one event that changes their mind, that changes how they want to approach things, that makes them question how they've been doing things, right? Uh, but for me, it's primarily about uh, events and interactions with other characters, which cause them to reconsider how they've been doing things. or or illustrate the flaws and how they've been doing things uh sometimes you have a a straight-up intervention you might have another character just yell at them be like you gotta stop doing (laughs) you gotta stop doing this thing man you gotta stop being so angry all the time it's getting in the way of uh you know i don't know trying to get that boy to like you or something you know they don't like angry people you gotta if you want people to connect with you you can't be so angry all the time uh okay well how do i not be angry and okay well then you explore that you know and so you you, yeah challenging them having having events that make them reconsider how they do things because it's very rare that someone in life is sitting perfectly still thinking about how they would like a muffin and then for no reason out of the blue they're just like i should really be more patient you know or i should i should really get a dog well actually they might say that but you know yeah that's a plot development getting a dog that's not character development but you know what i'm saying like it's think about your own life right like it's very rare that just for no reason you're sitting there with a completely blank mind uh that you just change (laughs) you tend to change and grow because of experiences that you have and so you want to think about experiences that your character might have which would encourage them to go down a different path or try something new, uh reconsider who they are how they do things so that to me is, is, is and, and in terms of what, what are those experiences, well, you got to kind of sit there and just ask yourself questions. And honestly, like even if the character is completely different from who you are in life, even if they're like a bounty hunter in space in the year, 5 million, you know, and if they're a, even if they're a girl and you're a boy or whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, the starting point is almost always you and looking inside at yourself and going and thinking about your life and your experiences and then extrapolating them to the story. So, you know, you have not had the life experiences of a, Audi hundred in space in the year 5 million but you do remember that time you went to a party and you kind of told a bad joke and it made you feel bad <laughs> nobody laughed and oh geez uh, and you're like well i want this character to feel kind of embarrassed and that party bad joke thing was embarrassing so maybe i can figure something like that <laughs> that fits the setting and then they you know behave a little differently moving forward the way i did i i, I started telling Different jokes, or maybe I didn't tell jokes so much anymore. I didn't want to, Uh, you know. Whatever, right? Uh, Yeah, you you find ways to pattern your own lived experiences or stories that maybe that friends have shared with you. Although sometimes you want to ask permission, right? Uh, If you want to, you can use that. Uh, You know, your experiences, other people's experiences, or even things you've read about. uh, I don't mean stealing from other fiction stories, but like nonfiction is a great source for things. I've read autobiographies, like for example, I wrote a pilot for a TV series about a mixed martial arts fighter. So I read the autobiography of Ronda Rousey, who's, you know, for those of you who don't know, a famous one, uh, who's now moved on to movies and some pro wrestling. Anyway, her life stories, I did not steal straight up, you know, uh, events from her life, but the emotions she described and the turning points where she changed how she did things gave me inspiration for how I could do that with my character and my story. So yeah, I, I think I'm belaboring the point. You basically want to look at your own life, uh, first, look at other people's lives, uh, and have a think about what experiences might change your character by degrees to get them to where you want them to be by the end of the story.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I actually have another question having to do with this. Sure. As I said, I kind of like my character as is, but so I was thinking of two different ways to make him like change and One of them was that if I like him right now, what if something happens and he gets like traumatized or something and he gets worse than he was before and then he has to get better again? Classic. Is that like, could I do that?
0: Yeah, yeah, you can do that. It's your character, man. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> okay. But I will say that what you described uh, is a classic storytelling mode. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have a character who's doing fine and then early on you might have what in television people call an inciting incident. You know, that that crazy thing that happens usually in the first five minutes of the movie or first couple minutes of the TV show where someone's just like sitting on a porch, you know, drinking coffee and like, ah, oh, my life is great and I'm great and everything's great. <laughs> And then like mm-hmm. a flaming bus goes through their garage and they're like, oh, geez, and then, or or whatever, you know, like something wild happens. It doesn't have to be that crazy. And that sets them off on the adventure, right? Or, or something, as you say, you're talking about something maybe something kind of traumatic, that you know, puts them in a bad headspace. And then the, the struggle of the story is them finding their way back out from that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's a great move, man. You're on it. Yeah, And you, and you can do that, by the way. I find a lot of questions I, I run into when I talk to people who haven't written a lot is they'll describe something perfectly fine and then say,
1: can I do that?
0: You can. It's your character. That's part of the fun. You can do whatever you want.
1: <laughs> and the way I write, I feel like is kind of. I don't know. I like doing it, but I. It seems like you're you write in a completely different way. I kind of outline the ending and the beginning, and then I might add like some mystery details that I don't even know what they are yet to make <laughs> the reader want to keep reading, and then I just come up with them as I go. And then I might actually make it make sense in like the second draft or something, and yeah. that's what I do
0: well, there's nothing wrong with that, and honestly, I have done that myself. Remember the Frankensteins monster I, I described earlier, right? yeah <laughs> it keeps changing. I mean the method I'm describing, uh, and so I'm running a novel for that book it is it is very heavy outlining. It's me figuring out just about everything, and the funny thing is, even with that method, as soon as I start running a page because I have sort of skipped ahead and written a few pages just to have fun you know with that part of the process um before going back to outlining almost immediately i will discover things in writing the sentences that i would never have discovered in outlining So and it's funny how that works you know uh sometimes you hear writers say things like oh it's like the character just told me they wanted to do something i always find that funny because i'm like well you don't literally have the, somebody talking in your head <laughs> But I get what they mean, which is that, like, they, they were surprised by what they discovered in writing the actual pages. And what you're talking about with discovering or refining in the editing, you know, editing is something that sometimes people think, oh, that's boring. Uh, whatever. I just want to write the first draft and get it out there. I'm done. Who cares? Um, but I have learned, and, and most writers I speak to share this opinion, you know, I, uh, or this experience, pardon me. They, I've learned to love editing more and more as I get older. Um, and in fact, actually, the first draft kind of drives me nuts sometimes <laughs> because with the first draft, you've got these blank pages to fill and, ah, oh, geez, what happens? Oh, geez. Even if you have the outlining, there'll be fine details that you haven't figured out. You'll realize you haven't figured them out only when you start filling the pages, because in writing that next nice paragraph, you're like, wait, what is there? Uh, where are they? <laughs> you know, like, what's that table do? Oh, wait, if I haven't want to do this, how does he do that? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so you'll figure stuff out. You'll be forced to by writing the pages. Um, but then when you're in the editing. Oh, you know, it's written. There's no, there's no white space. There's no empty pages staring at you, and you can just have fun sitting there, going, "Okay, well, what if I tweak this? What if I tweak that? I don't know. I, I really enjoy that. And some people will even say the writing really happens in the editing. Uh, you know, a lot of catchphrases related to writing, uh, for some reason. So yeah, um, yeah, you can. Yeah, that method's totally legit. And I have done something like it in the past. And some people are really extreme. I don't know if you've ever heard of a science fiction author called William Gibson he is of a a rare breed
1: i've heard his name but i don't really know that much of who he is oh
0: no worries uh he's one of my absolute top three authors of all time which actually might be something fun to mention uh yeah i really love um william gibson kurt vonnegut and a journalist called hunter s thompson though yeah i don't know if he's great for someone your age anyway uh, william gibson's a really cool sci-fi author i'll just say that and how he relates to your question uh in, in talking about outlining is he does something that scares the heck out of a lot of writers if they were told they had to do this. He just starts writing. (laughs) He's like, I just, you know, he he describes it. There's there's an old kind of way of describing, um, uh, you know, famous, uh, oh gosh, I'm sorry, I'm messing this up. I want to say Leonardo da Vinci, but like one of the guys, no, Michelangelo, I think one of the great Renaissance sculptors described his act of sculpting as taking just a big brick of marble and just chipping away at it, discovering what's underneath. Which is his way of saying he didn't know it was going to be a guy or a woman or a monster or whatever the heck. He just was like, I don't know. I just I just start doing it, and then I find out what it is, and then at the end, it's perfect and it's beautiful. I'm Michelangelo, hurrah! And, <laughs> and William Gibson does the same thing, but with a novel. He just sits down, and I'm sure he must have some ideas that you know, but he doesn't really know the ending. He says he just he just he just writes. He just goes. Um, that's that's terrifying. That's like to me, that's like doing a high wire trapeze without the net underneath. Um, <laughs> So there's all sorts, I guess, is my point in terms of how much people figure things out uh, in the outlining stage or the prose stage or the editing stage. And you just got to find out what Frankenstein's monster, you know, works for you uh, at the time of writing.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I think I'll take a lot of that into account. But uh, I, I, always, I always feel like I have to outline the ending because I want my books to be going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, like, pressure myself and I'm like, Oh, this I can't end this chapter here because it has to be longer, or else this will be a very short chapter, and I can't have that. And <laughs> I, should I is that should I not be doing that? Because I feel like I shouldn't be doing that for some reason.
0: Well, I think that's a good instinct on your part. Because when you're doing something in a book uh, or a short story, it doesn't matter what the format is in any kind of writing, when you're doing something, not because it feels right, not because you want to, but because you just sort of feel like I should. I, I, I always try to pause and, and interrogate that instinct when I have it and ask myself, well, why do I feel I should? What is that? Remember, I mentioned earlier how bad writing advice, uh, you know, the kind that tells you write like me because I'm smart, you know. Um, Bad writing advice like that uh, can often lead you into these moments. You'll think, oh, well, this guy says chapters have to be at least 400 words or, you know, watch that's pretty short, but you know what I mean. Uh, you know, this guy said, you know, that uh, I should do it. <laughs> I'm not saying don't listen to people ever. But again, if it feels perfunctory, don't, don't do it, is my feeling. Ask yourself or at least ask yourself why you feel the need to do it and in answering that question you'll probably figure out whether or not you actually should do it yeah uh, so in terms of lengths of your chapters i mean that's funny that you would say oh i don't know if it's long enough um coming back to william gibson his chapters have gotten shorter and shorter <laughs> as, he, as he's written his books um and actually i do see a lot of people intentionally writing very short chapters because uh that way the idea anyway uh is that the reader will finish the chapter and go oh well that was short I can stay you know i imagine them reading in bed at night you know oh i can read another chapter oh, i can read another chapter and it keeps them reading until next thing they know woof! they've, they've gobbled up half your book and oh wasn't that exciting um you know but but it may be sometimes you want a longer chapter because you know or even at a chapter that's like a short story unto itself with a clear you know beginning middle end and, and telling the whole thing um because that's what's right for the rhythm you're trying to create for the reading that very short chapter you know pulling people forward thing i just described I mostly know people who do that who write like action, you know, thrillers, you know, so that kind of thing where the story's moving really fast, and so you want the reading experience to be like the story. Um, but if you're doing something more relaxed and more calm, maybe like kind of like a mystery, you know, where you want people to really spend time they're in the setting trying to look for clues and really get to know the, you know, the feel of the characters and everything. We look closely at stuff. I'm really bad at making that. those. Oh yeah. Well, don't worry. You know, If you if you want to if you want to do them, you, you know, the best thing you can do is. Read lots of them and uh practice, practice, practice. Um but yeah, yeah, yeah. So um I think I've answered your question. Pardon me, I kinda of went on a bit. I have a lot of opinions about writing, as you can tell.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um I don't know if you've heard of this specific book, but I think you've probably heard of the author who read it, because he's one of the most famous authors. Uh the book I kind of it's the only Stephen King book I've been able to read. And it's called Eyes of the Dragon. Oh. And I really liked it. And it was kind of dark but kind of not dark and so another author i don't know if you've heard of this one but i really like him too his name is jonathan stroud have you heard of him i've heard the name
0: i haven't read anything by him i've read a bunch of stephen king's of course but uh yeah not uh not jonathan stroud
1: he wrote um the book that i love that he wrote the most is called uh bartimaeus and i'm not going to give you any spoilers but it's like about These humans that can summon demons to, like, protect them and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. And I think I kind of, since I've read a lot of his books, I think I kind of write a bit more like him now than I did before I read the books. And, yeah, I I was wondering if that's a good thing or a bad thing.
0: That's perfectly fine and natural. It is what everybody who writes goes through. Remember I mentioned some of those authors, Kurt Vonnegut, William Gibson, Hunter S. Thompson. If you read writing from my like late teens and early 20s, it's just like you're rolling a die about which one of those guys I'm going to sound kind of like or what I'm going to or like a mishmash of them. You know, William Gibson, I love his descriptions, uh, so I would do my best to do his. And the funny and the frustrating thing that could happen, right, is you 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 think, okay, well, I'm going to try something in the style of this guy that I like, and I'm going to try, you know, and I'm going to sound a little bit like them, but you know, um, you, you, but you're not a super experienced writer like them. And so you, you show the thing to someone else going, yeah, I tried to do like a William Gibson style description. And they're like, I don't know, it's not great. (laughs) And you're like, but I did it like him. (laughs) What do you mean it's not great? (laughs) So that can be frustrating. Or people will read it and they'll go, well, this doesn't sound like you. This sounds like a Huntress Thompson. This sounds like Kurt Vonnegut. And you're like, yeah, well, Sorry, I'm learning. <laughs> like, it's all that it comes down to. And your voice will come through. And what will happen in the end, right, is that, you know, you will be influenced by these writers. But as you practice and you get better, sure, like, elements of them will still be, you know, kind of floating around in your writing. But, you know, people would have to know you really well and really know what you love to read to spot them. And most people will read your stuff and just see you. Um, and that's okay because we're all influenced by what we read and what we love. I mean, that's how you figure out what you want to write and how you want to write. So again, it's one of those things that people sometimes feel like, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. I sound a bit like this author. I like, it's fine. It's fine. It couldn't be more natural.
1: Um, there's only one thing that I know I do that I haven't read in any other book so far. Mm -hmm. It's one I'm describing combat. I kind of say, I kind of describe how the person dodges before I describe how the whatever they're like giant monster thingy What's coming at them attacks yeah so it's like uh I duck down just as a claw snaps over my head or something like that yeah. and I like that because I feel like it kind of like I could go I duck down just as a claw pierces my head or something so you don't really know if they're not going to be able to dodge and they're going to try to dodge and not dodge or actually dodge and that's the only thing I know I do. Well, that's kind of neat
0: because you're setting up expectation, right? By yeah. By having the person duck their head down, you're like, "Well, what's coming at them?" And so that whole maintains interest.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, sorry. Please continue.
1: Yeah. Um. One of my biggest questions, though, is that this is something I'm not very good at, because ultimately, when I'm writing, all of my characters kind of sound the same. Like they could just be one person, and so. What my question is, how do you make the way a character talks and thinks different from another character? So like you can tell you're inside of that character's head or this one or this one.
0: Well, uh, that is a classic thing that we all have to struggle with and figure out. I uh, definitely, in my earliest stories, it was like 10 Olivers <laughs> talking to each other, which is a nightmare for some people. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, how do you do that? Well, I mean, again, it sort of starts off early almost by copying. So like, uh, in my earlier stories where I started to try and not have 10 olivers talking to each other i would have a character and be like okay this character is again maybe it's a bounty hunter in the year three million but they're my friend ryan (laughs) i'm gonna write them the way ryan would say things (laughs) they're just gonna be ryan (laughs) and so yeah you think of a friend or a family member or something and you just think about how they say things and kind of copy that down that's a good starting point for just get out of your head by going into somebody else's or at least your idea for somebody else's and then uh, with time, you know, you might think a little more uh granularly. So you might think, okay, well if this person's really impatient, right? What like think about qualities of the person. If this person's really impatient, let's say, they probably speak in shorter sentences and fewer sentences. You know, they'll just be kind of like, Yeah, okay, let's go over there. Yeah, a hot pepperoni. You know? <laughs> And then another person who's maybe like me, who loves to hear the sound of their own voice, uh, will will talk you know at length right? I and mean, give longer sentences and have big rhythms and digressions. Where you ask them if what they want for dinner, and halfway through saying they want pizza, they start telling you about what their dog did that day, you know, um, and and like word choices and these kinds of things. You all it all comes back to um, to character, really. I mean, I think the most you know people sometimes ask like, what's more important, plot or character, or this or that. I mean, it's all important as the big answer, but for me, the number one thing is character because we're human beings love to spend time with other human beings, we're social animals, right? That's the cliche. And most stories I've ever read, if the plot's not terribly interesting, I might still really enjoy it if I love spending time with the people in that story and the people being run through that plot. You know, I have TV shows I love to rewatch and I already know what happens, but God, I love spending time with those people, right? Um, so it all comes down to understanding people and thinking about them and why they do things. And like I said, you're the first, you're the person, you know, best. So you always start with you
1: Mm -hmm. and then you kind of move
0: outward to like buddies and friends. And then over time, you'll get enough practice that you'll just kind of think about, okay, you you won't even necessarily think about buddies and friends. You'll just look at the character and go, well, who do I think they are? And how can I express who they are? And that will give you, you know, the sort of the direction to go with making them sound different from uh you know the other characters and and, and then maybe one there'll still be a, a, a Renault running around in the story, but there won't be ten Renault's and that's yeah.
1: fine. <laughs> um I do this weird thing when I'm writing where it's not I necessarily weird, but for some reason I always have to have one character that's always calm and collected. Because I feel like that's that's like one character that's always super calm. And so I think like that's super easy for me to write. Cause I'm not super calm and collective a lot. So if I have like a Renault talking to like, I don't even know who I'm basing this character off of.
0: Anti-Renault, Mirror Universe Renault, the opposite of Renault. Yeah, I've done this. This is fun. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of easy to draw it. I mean, not draw it, right. The opposite of you too is what I feel like.
0: You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah. One of the things I also struggle with a lot is if you have like, in my book, this might sound a little bit weird. In my book, I'm writing about people that are trapped inside of a book that they found inside of a brook.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah.
1: I didn't mean to make it sound like that, but that's what it sounds like. So, anyway, it's not going Their goal is going to be, like, to get out of the book and do whatever, and the book will be planning out all the stuff for them to do because it's trying to find a new person to be Satan because Satan has died. But if I was having, like, this big adventure story where the main character is free to do whatever they want, but they still have a goal, which is kind of like Vo. Um, I don't know how to avoid kind of using fillers and keep the main plot of the book moving forward. And that's something I really struggle with. Like I get writer's block when I try to do that. And so that's what I'm wondering about.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, this, this is where editing comes in a lot, right? Uh, you know, when when you go to the editing, uh, often I, I <laughs> this is a big thing in screenwriting, actually, it's something that influenced how I write, my Frankenstein's monster, is my training in screenwriting, because in television and in film, there's a lot of incentive to write less, to write more concisely, more tightly, and not have any filler. Because it's very expensive <laughs> to film things, right? Yeah. And so you, you know, if you just write like "there's a big explosion," well, that's a million dollars. <laughs> so um, you really want to think hard about what you've got in there. And and I have that has really strongly influenced my writing on the page. And so whenever I do my edits, I tend to be like, okay, do I really need this word? Chop. Yeah, it's fine without it. You know, I find I find cutting what feels like filler. And here's a here's a little a move for you if you haven't done it already right is is just write whatever right write the thing get the first draft out you know sometimes people call that the vomit draft like you're just, going, just getting it out and then whatever it's always you get the whole thing out you're good but then you do the edit and in the edit that's when you go through and, and you just say okay well how much can i cut out you just cut out as much as possible save it as another file in case you want to put it back but you know uh cut it as much as possible and then don't look at it for like a week right think about other things write other stories go outside whatever Right. But then when you come back to it after that week, just reread that, that new that draft where you cut all the stuff out, cut out all the filler or what felt like filler, and see if you miss anything. You'll probably not even remember half of what you cut. And if you do remember, if you do think, oh, I really miss that part where he drinks the coffee or whatever, okay maybe you put that back. But in my experience, 99% of what I cut, I don't miss it. <laughs> I don't miss it. So that would be, I guess, my advice is to just sort of give yourself permission to write the filler or what, you know, whatever, right? I mean, if it really feels like filler, don't put it in. <laughs> but give yourself permission to just write you know, whatever as you're doing that first draft and use the editing as a way of discovering for yourself what needs to go in and what doesn't. And then what will happen is with practice over time, when you write new first drafts for future stories, your instincts for what to put in and what to leave out will be stronger and you'll save yourself editing work by just not putting in that thing. Yeah. Does that help?
1: Yeah. Um. I think nano remo. Do you know what that is?
0: I do. Yes. And you know what's funny? I've always wanted to do it, but I it's always so, I know it's in November. I should be able to plan for it. Yeah. Every time November comes around, I'm like, ah, oh, geez, because I'm like halfway through editing another novel or something. I'm always, I'm, i My schedule never lines up. But yeah, sorry, answer, yeah, <laughs> yes, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: It's so. Um. It's so. I there's I feel like there's no way I can do that, and my mom is like, "Don't come up with character names; just type it out as as you can." Because she did it when she was like littleer, and I don't want to do that, so I don't want to have to go back and literally edit everything. Mm-hmm. So that's why I feel like I'm not the best at doing NaNoWriMo, But anyway, that's also completely besides the point.
0: That's okay, Although, Let me just say, NaNoWriMo is not for everybody, and I know very experienced writers. Who either just don't like the idea or they tried and it didn't work for them yeah so like i said there's no one way to write it's a fun challenge and it's a good way for people who have trouble starting writing like they just get in their heads and they, they they're you know they're perfectionists and the timer of NaNoWriMo will help make them write but like i said it's not mm-hmm. for everybody and i personally like by the time i became aware of NaNoWriMo it had been around for years by the time i i, I found out what it was I had already completed big stories, and I kind of knew I could do that. So, yeah, and I and I didn't need it to get me to write because I always want to write. Mm-hmm. So it's not something I personally need. Doesn't mean I'm better than anybody. I've got other stuff I, I got to work with <laughs> on my writing. But uh, but yeah, it's not for me. And I think that's something else to to consider. Maybe it's just not for you, or maybe you know you'll try it and find out for sure one way or the other.
1: Yeah, and the not just this. It sounds like something I already said, but the way I write is weird in terms of. At school, I finished my ELA activities early, since they're kind of easy for me. I'm not good at math, I'm not the best at math, but I'm pretty good at ELA, so ELA's kind of easy. So anyway- Pardon me, I I don't
0: know that one, what's ELA?
1: ELA is like um, writing and reading and that kind of stuff, but not math and science. Oh, so does this stand for
0: like English language art? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah.
1: That's what it stands for. Um, I finished ELA early and then I just kind of, I have this green notebook that I got and I just kind of write my book in the green notebook. But then when I get home, I have to type my book out because of course you need to do that to be able to actually try to get it published or anything and to actually be able to edit it better. And so I type it out, but then I just get bored of typing it out and I don't know how to stop that because I don't, I don't get bored when I'm writing it out because I'm so much faster at that but I just kinda of get bored when I'm typing it out.
0: Yeah, well, cause I mean, when you're typing it out, maybe like it just feels like transcribing, that you're not having creative decisions that get you excited that like the you're making when you write it on the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's funny, you know, it depends on what I'm writing. Uh, I find for full novels, I just, I just write them all on the computer now, um, but I do do all my outlining pretty much by hand because it's less distracting, you know? I don't have like Twitter and video games and stuff like on a piece of paper. <laughs> Uh, and and so I do end up often transcribing my outline or or these parts of it, and you're right, like it's not the most exciting. So the thing is, how do you make it exciting? Well, a lot of people who write uh, the actual prose, the story proper, and then transcribe it will edit while they write, pardon me, while they transcribe. You know, uh, my father's actually just finishing his first ever short story, bless him. He's in the seventies and he's like, I'm gonna try. So yeah, Uh, (laughs) and he always does everything by hand and he's been talking to me about it, of course. And he said like, yeah, I find I always kind of tweet, I I, I do editing while I type it up. And that's what makes it interesting is finding ways you can tighten up your writing and make creative decisions as you transcribe it onto the page. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry, into Word or whatever, you know, software you use. So I would, if I were you, I would try and see ways that you can edit it while you transcribe maybe. And that would make it more entertaining than just, like, verbatim copying exactly what you had.
1: Yeah, um, I have a question. This has nothing to do with writing at all. We have to end this at 11, right?
0: Well, I mean, I can talk a little longer, but uh, I also okay. am thinking about your teacher having to listen to all of this. So, uh, you know, oh, this is yeah, for, like, that's career true. day stuff. Yeah, it's okay, we're having fun, that's all right. But yeah, like there's like career day, sorry career day, but this is like a career based project. So is there anything you want to ask me about? Like uh, the non-writing aspects of being a writer?
1: Um,
0: Cause I'll talk about writing craft all day.
1: <laughs> Cause yeah. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to ask you was, you know how when owning a shop, sometimes you get good days and sometimes you get bad days. Does that happen when you're writing? <laughs> like money wise. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Oh God, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, man. A harsh truth of just about everything you can do as an adult is that you're going to have good and bad days. And um, I know that sounds silly to say all that, but yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Whether you're talking about like days where you can only write 100 words and your brain just doesn't want to work for some reason, you're, you're stressed out, you're distracted by other things, maybe. Or then, and then the next day you write like 5,000 words, you know. Uh, I love writing endings because, uh, like you, I like to know what the ending is. So by the time I get to it, I've thought about it so much, it's very easy to write. And I just go, "Wee!" and I write like 5,000 words in a day, and I feel yeah. amazing. Uh, you know, that's, that's an easy, good day for me. Um, in terms of uh, the financial side of things, again, yep. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, some days, you know, you'll check your, you know, maybe you're doing Amazon print-on-demand uh, self-publishing. So you can go and easily check, how many copies did I sell today? Uh, yeah, that arrow goes up and down. And sometimes the really hard thing will be if you've done a lot of work to try and push the arrow up. Maybe you've done a lot of interviews or, you know, like on a lot of really good book reviews and you think, oh, wow, that's going to get me more sales for sure. And then I the say you get like nothing or not, you know, basically not no difference is made and you don't know why. And it's very frustrating, you know, because you, you only have so much control. Again, this is kind of life in general. But. Um, certainly with something as uh, subjective as creativity driven professions that are very complicated and involve a lot of things that basically just come down to people's opinions, you know, as opposed to maybe being a scientist where you have hard rules of the universe and how things work to guide, you know, how certain things go. Yeah, I think, I think uh, ups, ups and downs all around for in terms of sales, in terms of people's interest in your stuff, you know, writing, I'm sure you've heard people tell you it involves a lot of rejection. You really need, again. Mostly just practice and kind of learning to be easy on yourself for every story I've sold. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, sometimes you get lucky. I had a story back in the fall last year that sold for the first place I sent it to, but that was very lucky. Uh, Most of the time, uh, you know, you get a lot of rejections and maybe you've seen some, some sometimes people like to share online, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien got, I forget how many now, but like 50 rejections of Lord of the Rings before somebody bought it. And you would think, that's crazy, Lord of the Rings, it's so popular, it's great, they made all those movies, they're making more movies, and more TV shows forever. How could it be rejected all those times? But it just, it happens because people who read, you know, the original Lord of the Rings manuscript, you know, it wasn't for them. Or they had ideas about, well, what will sell? I love the story, but I don't think I can sell it. You know, there'll be all these different things going on in the head of the person that reads your story, and then all you get is, nope. (laughs) no thanks or maybe they just say something that you completely disagree with like i think your story was too short and you're like i thought it was too long and so yeah navigating those the ups and downs of whether it's the straight money side of it or the all the rejection that you have to deal with and the sweet moments of acceptance all those things that happen that are good but you maybe overestimate because you think oh this is gonna make my life completely different uh maybe it'll make your life a little different You know, people love to talk about the big break and it's true that will happen sometimes. But one of the reasons we all love to talk about big breaks when we talk about, you know, people in creative fields, uh, whether they're actors, writers, whatever, is because they're so remarkable because they're so rare. It's basically like a lottery ticket situation. If you had to work really hard for years to get one lottery ticket, (laughs) whereas most people I know who make a living at it or even if they don't, but they're very happy with like how much of a part of their life it is. They feel like, yeah, this is what I want writing to be for me. It, they got there gradually. They got there with a bunch of little breaks, you know, and a lot of heartache <laughs> along the way. A lot of so, so yeah, uh, absolutely. There are ups and downs, and the trick is to just kind of look at the big picture and keep in your head. Well, what is it I want? Where do I want to be? How do I get there? And how do I enjoy where I am right now? You know, because if you don't enjoy wherever you are right now. Uh, you'll never enjoy your life. You'll always be looking forward at the next thing and never enjoying where you are in that moment. And that includes where you are right this second, man. I mean, you're in a kind of a fun place where, you know, you're young, you're figuring it out. You've got all this enthusiasm and hopefully you'll keep having enthusiasm. I mean, here I am an old man of 40 and you can hear I'm obviously still very excited about writing. And you're in a place where there's no um, financial pressure. You're a kid, you're like your parents, they of you. <laughs> you know, you don't have to worry about making rent or buying clothes or whatever. And so you have all this freedom that you'll hear adults talk about and you'll you might after a while get sick of hearing them say it or you know because but here's the secret we're all very envious of you <laughs> we miss being a kid because of course there are things about it that aren't great but as a writer one of the great things about being a kid is having so much more freedom to fail. People are much easier on you. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, you know, he's, in, he's in, grade, in grade five. Of course, he's not a master at this yet. And uh, you have so much more uh, time and energy to devote to it because you're not worried about raising your own kid. <laughs> or, 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 and you're not worried about, like I said, all these other big adult concerns. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, as, as much of that, as you want to become better and you don't want to keep working toward it. Every once in a while, and maybe this is my final piece of advice, you know, this is a good closer. Um, every once in a while, I would encourage you to do something. Actually, uh, come back to my absolute favorite author, number one, if I had to pick him, Kurt Vonnegut. And you could read him. I mean, he's, you know, some of his books are perfectly fine for your age. Something he said in one of his novels was that it's very important to every now and again, just stop, look around, be kind of like, you know if this isn't nice, I don't know what is, you know, just appreciate the moment and and what you got going on. And, and for you, I think that specifically relates to the writing every once in a while, look at your story and be like, never mind the stuff that you wish was better or that you're, you're not sure how to figure out. You got that one moment you really like, you know, that one thing that got you excited or whatever in the story and just go, yeah, yeah, this is nice. All right. I love this. I get to make this up and it's fun. You know, Anyway, Mm -hmm. I hope that answers your question.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I can I I know you probably have to go but can I ask like one more question sure okay so is there anyone you recommend who I can reach out to and they maybe they can help me with my writing and editing process
0: gosh um I'm that's tricky because most people who do this kind of thing are extremely busy and they get a lot of requests, and they get a lot of requests from kids in school, uh, and they end up having to turn them down. Because you know, but this has been. But I, I wanted to do this with you because I've actually not done this before. This is very fun. I've talked to people, you know, off mic, <laughs> you know, uh, but I've never had uh, a student reach out to me. So I thought I would do it for the fun and the novelty, and because I love writing it, I love helping you know people write, you know get better at it. But if I, if I was doing this on a regular basis, I'd have to just stop or get paid or something because, you know, my time, uh, has a lot of demands on it. Most of them are me making them, right? Like I'm the guy who made myself do a podcast in a magazine and write novels. <laughs> like nobody made me do that. But yeah, so it's hard for me to recommend that you like directly contact anyone. However, remember what I said earlier about good writing advice, bad writing advice? There are maybe books I would recommend, and, and not very many. Again, like, I, I do think most writing uh, books are not great because they're writers saying, well, you have to write like me, or I have one perfect formula, and that's silly. Uh, what I like are books that teach you tools, and some of them work for you, and some of them don't, and you just pick up what works for you now, and you try them out. So you know what? If you give me two seconds, because I have them on my shelf right beside me. I like to refer to them. there to so my two favorite ones. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, listeners, you can't see, but uh, I'm, I'm throwing totally out to the camera, so I'll, I'll describe them briefly. One of them is called Steering the Craft, a 21st Century Guide to Sailing the Sea of Story by an author named Ursula K. Le Guin. Uh, and Renaud, if you like, I'll, I'll email you that, because um, I know you I you, heard you talking writing.
1: about that. I heard you talking about that on your podcast. On oh, the
0: podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's true, actually. Yeah. Yes, I do talk about it. You know, some of the things in it might be kind of challenging for someone your age, but it's worth checking out because yeah it's basically a book of exercises that are designed to help you think harder about your writing uh, all the way down to the very granular level and i find it very enjoyable very helpful i've, I've worked through the whole book i should probably work through uh, i've worked through a couple of specific exercises again later uh, regarding particular stories of mine as a way of helping me figure things out and ursula k Le Guin is just a phenomenal writer uh, she um, passed away a few years ago she wrote all kinds of amazing books you know 100 yeah, hundred years, I nearly said 100 years, that's not right. Many years, it was like the 60s, uh, and the 70s. Uh, she wrote about a wizard school long before Harry Potter. It's called The Wizard of Earthsea. I can't recommend that book enough. You might actually really love it. It would be good for your age. And yeah, she just is a, a very, very smart person who understands the thing that I'm saying. Because I'm passing on knowledge. I didn't invent what I, a lot of what I'm saying to you today. I didn't invent the idea of tools are better than being given one perfect method in quotation marks. Um, you know, she's very good at that. I I can't recommend checking out her work enough, uh, her, some of her books are for younger people, some of her books for, uh, more for adults and I don't mean about like blood and guts or whatever. I just mean the ideas are more complex maybe. Um, so yeah, like I said, I would check her if, if you were to start anywhere with her, I would read a wizard of earth sea and then sort of take it from there and have fun exploring. Okay. But yeah, steering the craft is a good book of exercises. And then a book that isn't, I think it actually has some exercises in the back, but I, I kind of didn't bother with those. Another book I really like, and the only other one I'll mention, is called Several Short Sentences About Writing. Verlin Klinkenborg, which is a heck of a name, uh, but you Google that, even uh, if you misspell it, I'm sure it'll, it'll come up. I have actually not read any of Verlin's uh, fiction, which is a strange thing to say when I'm talking about a book about writing by them. But some people, you know, it's, it's okay, you can just go straight to the lessons. I love it. You can see my copy's got all kinds of well, listen, you can't see this, but trust trust me. I have all kinds of like highlighting and stuff in it. I've even got an index card I made for reference so I could find things in it more quickly that I really like. What I love about that book in particular is that I think it's very approachable. I think people uh, young and old can easily understand it, which is great because that's the whole point of teaching. You want people to understand, which sounds funny to say, but sometimes people make it overly complicated to make themselves feel smart and they lose half their audience. Anyway. Teachers, gotta love them. So yeah, uh, I really love that book because it's very easy to read. It's very easy to follow and understand what he's saying. His advice is very good. He's giving you tools, not like the one big thing that you do is perfect or whatever. And here's the thing I really enjoy as someone uh, a bit older who's been writing and reading about writing for a long time. He helps kind of like clear the cobwebs away. He helps you forget bad advice and remember that you actually know more about writing than you probably think you do. So it's very good in kind of almost like a mental health way, as well as uh, teaching you great stuff about writing that I have used in just my most recent story, which I, but I won't get into specifics, otherwise my answer will be way too long. So yeah, I would say Steering the Craft or Aspires like Hayley Gwyn*, several short sentences about writing by Verlin Klinkenberg. I think there are good sources of writing advice online, and this, you know a lot of people like to go to YouTube and stuff, but I would encourage you to be extremely skeptical because I see a lot of terrible stuff online where understandably people don't, you know, unlike those two books I mentioned, they didn't have to go to a publisher and have a, you know, have their thing reviewed. They just turned on the camera and said, Here's what I think is smart about writing, you know? Uh so, so beware, be be skeptical. There is good writing advice online, but a lot of it's garbage and a lot of it is you know, like I said, very dogmatic is the word, telling for telling people like this is the one way. Uh so be skeptical is all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs>
1: um, if you were like trying to help people learn more about writing. You definitely really did that for me because you helped me a lot with like, oh. depending on like different things, like I had zero character arcs when I first started writing the book, but now I actually have character arcs for every character. So you, you did help me with a lot of stuff. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, you're welcome. And, oh yeah. Right. People should all listen to me. They should all listen to my podcast. That's, 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 that's my answer. <laughs> Go to sorry, writing a novel.com. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad, and that's very nice of you to say. Well, hey, I mean, it, it feels like we've uh, we've had our, ourselves a good, uh, solid hour interview here. Yeah, I, I think it would be mean to make your teacher listen to uh, you know another hour. So, uh, yeah, I, again, thank you for this. This has been very fun, and, and actually, reminds me of one last thing I'll say, which is uh, especially as you get older and you get more knowledge, one of the best ways to improve your own writing is to teach others or to edit other people's work because it forces you to articulate ideas and concepts that, about writing that maybe you hadn't ever actually said out loud. Maybe they were just kind of a feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. And then after, and when you have to explain to someone, you, you can't say, well, it's this feeling I get, you know? You have to explain it, and by explaining it to others, you end up explaining it to yourself course, and forcing yourself to, you know, yeah, make it more together. Uh, so in that sense, yeah, this interview has benefited me. Thank you very much, now
1: Okay, well, thank you for letting me interview you. It helped me a lot, and it taught me a lot. So- I also wrote down what dogmanic means because I think I want to use it in my book. So, thank you. <laughs> no problem.
0: So, I'm Writing a Novel. Features original intro and outro music by Gloria Guns, and is hosted by yours truly, Oliver Brackenbury. If you'd like to submit a question, then please email it to soimwritinganovel at gmail.com. You can also holler at the show on Twitter. Look for at so underscore writing. That's at so writing. Please consider sharing the show with anybody who might like it, or checking out any of the other ways you can support the show by heading to songrunninganovel.com slash support the show, which has things like links to our Patreon, coffee, and PayPal. Thanks for hanging out with me, and Renault, and I'll see you soon.